The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. This morning I want to uh, take the opportunity that's been given us to uh, go back and re-enter the series that I started at Convocation on bearing the marks of Jesus, examining ourselves as his followers. And so this morning we're going to look at another mark that we bear, the mark of Jesus as his followers. We're going to look at the end of Matthew chapter 18. Today I want to look at the mark of forgiveness. And uh, I want to say at the outset that I hope that you'll be thinking about uh, this series over the next couple of weeks and months as we do it, to, to actually take the opportunity to reflect upon your own faith and your own walk as a follower of Christ, to reflect upon whether or not these marks are visible, in your life, whether they are real, because they are the marks of Jesus. And in convocation at the beginning of the year, we looked at Galatians and Paul's remark that he bears in his body the mark of Jesus, that Paul's marks were actual physical marks that identified him as the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, marks that came from beatings, marks that came from, from being lashed, marks that came from being stoned, marks that came from being imprisoned and shipwrecked, that he actually bore the physical marks of serving Jesus as his bondservant, that Jesus also bears marks, pierced hands and pierced feet, a wound in his side, that even after the resurrection were used to identify him to the disciples, Thomas, place your fingers in these wounds and see that it is me. The marks of Jesus were real. The marks that Paul bore were real and physical that he mentions at the end of the letter to the Galatians. But Paul also was bearing the marks of Jesus spiritually. And what we looked at was, what does that mean for us? What is actually going on here? What would compel Paul to keep following after and serving the Lord Jesus despite the beatings and the floggings, being left for dead, despite being hungry and impoverished, despite being shipwrecked? What would cause him to keep going? We looked at the mark of obedience, driven by his faith, that faith compels us to obedience and that disbelief and the lack of faith leads us to disobedience. And so we bear the mark of Jesus, the mark of obedience, like the Apostle Paul did, but like the Lord Jesus did himself. Because in the garden, remember, he said, not my will, but yours. Only one thing Jesus came to do, fulfill the will of the Father by providing himself as a sacrificial lamb for the payment of our sin. Only thing Jesus cared about was doing the will of God, the Father. He was obedient. And we bear that mark. It should be visible to those around us that what drives us is to obey the Lord, to please the Lord, to do what he wants us to do because we believe him to be our God and we believe his son to be our savior and we believe that he has given us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to comfort and guide and teach us. Marks our life. Well, today what I want to do is look at another mark because we, we are to bear the marks of Jesus as his followers and bearing the marks of Jesus as his followers means that we bear spiritual marks, characteristics that identify us as his people, which are as visible as Paul's physical scars that are described in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. People should know us by the marks of Jesus. We're going to talk about one later because the scripture says they know us by our love. Today I want to look at this mark of forgiveness. We are to be forgiving people because we are ourselves forgiven. 
This isn't just a command or an expectation from Jesus, which we'll look at in Matthew 18. He's given us the ultimate example of forgiveness to follow. So in Matthew chapter 18, we have this parable, the unforgiving servant, but it is the parable that is set in motion by a question that comes from the disciple Peter. Jesus had been doing all kinds of miracles. He had healed a boy with a demon. Uh, he again was foretelling his death and resurrection. He, uh, he, w- he intervened in an argument the disciples were having about who would be the greatest among them. He gives the parable of the lost sheep. He talks about what to do when one sins against you. Matthew 18, going to that brother for correction, going with someone else. He spells that out for them. And something must have clicked in Peter's mind when Jesus talks about whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter's mind is swimming. And he says here in chapter 18, verse 21, then Peter came up, Matthew records for us, and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. What happens is that something strikes Peter in what Jesus is saying that causes him to reflect upon being wronged to the point where he says the question, how many times when I'm wronged by my brother should I forgive? My guess is that there's something in Peter's experiences that have him asking this question. My guess is that Peter has been wronged probably by some of the men that he was following Jesus with, also by the larger group that was gathered around Jesus. My guess is people in Peter's family. My guess is people in Peter's community. My guess is Peter was someone who had been wronged by other people. It's a pretty good guess because all of us have been wronged by someone. It's a pretty good guess that Peter's driving from experience because all of us know what it's like to be wronged by someone, hurt by someone, sinned against by someone. If you haven't experienced that, then you're living in a cave somewhere all by yourself. Because we live in a fallen and broken world, and the person sitting next to you is a sinful, sinful creature who may have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, but is a broken and fallen person in a broken and fallen world. So my guess is Peter's driven by personal experience. He says, says, how much, when someone sins against me, when someone's wronged me, how many times should I forgive? And then Peter goes one step further, as he was often found doing, says, seven times? Seven times? That's a lot. Think about your own personal life. How many times you had to forgive someone for the same offense more than once? Seven is a lot. In fact, what Peter does is more than double what the Talmud teaches. It said three times. So Peter thinks, I'm not only going to say, okay, I'm struggling with this forgiveness thing a little bit, and what Jesus said has got him a little unnerved, and he asks the question, but then he tries to give the answer. Seven times? That's pretty good, right, Jesus? Will I get the right answer? I have my hand up. Is that the right answer? And Jesus says, oh, I'm not going to say to you seven times, 70 times seven. Now, I know all of you have varying levels of math anxieties, but it's not that hard to figure out, right? 70 times seven, right? It's 14 times, no, kidding. (laughs) 70 times seven, right? That's a lot of times, right? What is it? Now, really, do we think that Jesus... Is saying to Peter, not 70, not seven, Peter, 490. So that then Peter can go back with his clipboard and say, one, two, three, four, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying to Peter is not, it's not a numeric issue, a numeric statement that has value because of the number. It has value because of the emotional impact. More than you could imagine, Peter. 
Not seven, not more than twice the Talmud, more than you can imagine. Can you imagine forgiving someone over almost 500 times for the same offense? Can you imagine? Can you get your mind around that? Jesus does what he always does. He confounds his students because his answer isn't what they were expecting. I think what Peter was expecting was, boy, Peter, sevens, that's, that's a, more than the Talmud teaches. You're on the right track. You do seven. You're on your way. That's what we would say in our humanity. Our humanity, my thing is counterintuitive. If I had a student who came to me and doubled the standard, more than doubled the standard, my response would be, hey, you're on the right track. Keep at it. Jesus says, no, no, no. There's actually a, a, a humbling lesson here for you, Peter. Not seven. Seventy times seven. More than you can imagine. And then that must have some, some, been an issue for, for Peter to think, okay, now what I have to do is be forgiving to a degree that's going to cost me something. I could do three because the law said. I could do three because that was the teaching. I could do seven because that would show how good I was at this. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 you will keep on forgiving no matter what. Now that creates in Peter a little bit of a problem. So what Jesus does is drives the message home with this parable that we see in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's a powerful story. Jesus says, hey, look, to drive this message home, this is where we're at. The kingdom of heaven, it's like this. It could be compared to this. And he tells a story about a master who's settling accounts with his servants. And up comes this servant who has a huge account to be settled. In fact, by today's calculation, what the Bible says, by today's calculation, he'd have to work 50, probably 60 million days. It's 60 million days wages that this man owes. Now, get your mind around that for just a minute. That means he cannot repay what he owes. It doesn't mean if he was industrious, he could get there. It means he cannot get there. He cannot do what he is doing for 60 million days. He cannot pay the debt. He can't pay it. He comes before the, the master and says, my debt is this and it's large. Well, you cannot, I cannot pay it. The master recites what is the pagan custom, not the Jewish custom, the pagan custom of the day, which is then everybody's got to be sold. Everybody's got to be sold so I can get something out of this. And the man falls down at the feet of the master and pleads for forgiveness of the debt. And the master, having pity on him, forgives it. He doesn't say, I'll up your wages. He doesn't say, I'll cut it in half. It's gone. The account is wiped clean, and I will not follow the pagan culture of selling you and your, and your family into servitude someplace else. I will not try to reclaim what is owed me. I will simply forgive it. It is eradicated. It is zeroed out. It doesn't exist. You are free to go. Then what the Bible tells us here is that the man is free to go, and he takes that newbound freedom. He's been loosed from his bonds. He takes his newfound freedom and he goes to one who owes him. The Bible tells us here in plain English, plain language, that that servant who was forgiven a debt he could not possibly repay began to choke one who owed him far less, attacked him violently to reclaim what was his. This one who had experienced the forgiveness of a debt he could never pay turned to the servant that owed him and began choking him, demanding repayment. Violently, physically accosting someone, choking him, the Bible says, demanding repayment. The other servants saw it. 
The other servants, the fellow servants, saw it and reported it to the master. Verse 32 says this, Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. If Peter was stung by 70 times 7, he should have been driven to his knees by this one. Because this one says, you've been forgiven much, and yet you withhold forgiveness for those who have offended you far less than you've offended your master. And to that servant, the master says, you wicked servant. That's a strong word. You wicked servant. Throws him in jail. Throws him in jail. Throws him in jail. Where he cannot earn money. He cannot collect. He cannot pay. He's outside the good graces of the master because he was not forgiving to the one who owed him. If Peter was shocked by 70 times 7, this one should have driven him to his knees. Because what Jesus is doing here is calling his followers to something hard, but not impossible. Something difficult and costly, but not beyond our understanding. What he's basically saying is, Forget the metric of 70 times 7. What I'm offering you is a statement, a challenge, a teaching, instruction that you are to keep on forgiving, no matter what. Now, think, well, how does this, how does this play out? How do we think about this in terms of our own lives? This is great. Okay, I'm supposed to forgive. The issue for what I'm asking you to do is, in this series is to reflect upon whether or not you bear the mark of Forgiveness, not just that you are forgiven, but that you are a forgiving person. Because the followers of Jesus are forgiving. They are forgiving because they themselves have been forgiven. What happens is we have to remind ourselves of what we have received by the good hand of God through Jesus Christ. We were singing about it. You were clapping for it. We were singing along. We were raising our hands. We're celebrating all that is ours in Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we see this sort of played out. In talking about who Jesus Christ is, the apostle says, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. In whom we have what? Redemption and guess what? The forgiveness of sins. In chapter 2 and verse 13, we read also a similar kind of thing where the message is driven home. That you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with Him, having forgiven us our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross. We are forgiven to this degree. And as a result of being forgiven to that degree, we are instructed thusly in the Bible. Colossians 3, verse 13. We're to bear with one another. And if we have a complaint against one another, we're to forgive each other. As the Lord has, forg as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Look, one of the reasons I think we struggle with being forgiving of others is we do not spend enough time contemplating the degree to which we have been forgiven. 
Brothers and sisters, you should be reflecting on the truth of the gospel, that the shed blood of Jesus has purchased not only the promise of eternal life, it has redeemed you from sin, but you are forgiven. The record has been made clean. There is no record of your wrong, not past, not present, not future. There is no record. They are as far as the east is from the west. You have been forgiven. God holds nothing against you because when he looks at you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you have done that, he sees nothing but a redeemed one washed in the blood of his son. You are forgiven. And when you have trouble forgiving others, Maybe what's happening is we have, we have not stopped to think about the fact that I am a sinner who needs a Savior, who has the penalty of sin bearing down upon me. I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve eternal punishment. But through Jesus Christ, it is forgiven, wiped clean. And I stand before him boldly and confidently as a redeemed one, a son, a daughter who has been lovingly purchased and forgiven. Too often what we think is you came to Jesus because you needed a better friend than your earthly friends. You needed a life coach. You needed a counselor. You needed someone to make you feel better about yourself. No, no. You needed a savior. You needed to be forgiven. And if you're withholding forgiveness from others, there's a very good chance that you haven't come to terms with the fact that you needed to be forgiven. And if you placed your faith in Jesus, you have in fact been forgiven. And if you get your mind around that, it will be hard for you to hold grudges. It will be hard for you to keep long records of wrong. Because what you'll see is that nothing that you've done, nothing, is held against you by a righteous God. How could you then hold this against someone else? That's the parable that Jesus is teaching. That's what he says, as you have been forgiven, so now forgive one another. We as Christians are to be forgiving because we are forgiven. We should be the most forgiving people on the planet. No one should outdo us at being forgiving. No one should be more aware of the degree to which they've been forgiven. Not wallowing in their sin and despair, rejoicing that God so loves you that he has wiped the slate clean. If you're here today and you are crippled by a sin of the past, if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, come to, come to terms with this. It is forgiven. You bear it no more. You bear it no more. If you are crippled by your fear that you've done something that God couldn't possibly overlook, trust me, you haven't topped anyone in the history of humankind. There's nothing you've done that is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And so, there is nothing that anyone that is, has done to you that is beyond the reach of your forgiveness. This is what we do. This marks us. There are all kinds of implications for this. Some of us have trouble forgiving because we just don't think people deserve it. Trust me, you don't want God thinking that way. We don't forgive others because they don't deserve it. Do you know what they did over and over again? Do you know how many times they have made the same mistake? Do you know how hurtful they have been to me? Do you know what they have said? Do you know what they have done? Yes. And our Savior was one who was hung on a cross, publicly displayed before everyone as a criminal, and looked out and said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those that hung on the cross, the spotless Lamb of God, were forgiven by the one whom they had pierced and hung up, the one that they had beaten and mocked and ridiculed. We are to bear that mark of Jesus. Now, 
there's an implication here that I've been thinking about. Because I was thinking, well, the reality is we get hurt in life. And there are relational implications of being forgiving. There are cultural implications of being forgiving, being forgiving in the day in which we live. We live in a culture that likes to keep long-lasting lists of wrongs. But there are relational implications of being a forgiving person. Our experiences are real. There's no denying that. We get hurt by others. And if you think God's people haven't been hurt, then you're not reading the Psalms because poor David. I mean, try to read the Psalms and not see a guy who is vexed and depressed and ridden with anxiety about the way people are treating him. There are relational implications of being forgiving. Our experiences are real. We get hurt by others. We have been hurt, are being hurt, and will be hurt, should the Lord tarry, by other people. And sometimes what happens to us psychologically and socially is we want to protect ourselves from being hurt by others. And being, protecting ourselves from being hurt by others is one thing. It's a natural thing. I'm going to withdraw socially because I'm tired of being hurt. That's something you have to come to terms with. But let me say this. Sometimes what we do is we protect ourselves from having to forgive others, and that's quite another. If you're hiding from relationships, if you're, with, if you're withdrawing from being vulnerable with people, if you're withdrawing from investing in people's lives, not because you don't want to be hurt, but because you don't want to have to forgive. You know, I think this about forgiving. We're all hung up on how forgiving we should be. I have just a simple rule. We ought to do it now because we're going to do it later. Why are we withholding forgiveness now? When God takes us home in the perfect world to come, we, we will be forgiving. Why not practice that and enjoy the joy, the taste of that in our mouths now and not wait for what is to come? We can do it now. Holding ourselves back, not because we're afraid of being hurt, but because we don't want to have to forgive people, that's a quite a different thing. We as Christians should be looking for opportunities to forgive people. We should be seeking them out. We should be putting ourselves out there at risk of being hurt so that we can forgive. Why? Because in showing the forgiveness that we have for them, we are demonstrating the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. There are gospel opportunities in putting yourself out there. Withholding forgiveness is not living the gospel. It's hiding it. Lavishing forgiveness on others being a generous person with it means that you're in touch with the gospel reality of your own life and looking for opportunities to demonstrate the gospel to others. I can tell you this in my own life. When I have stunned someone by not holding a grudge and forgiving, and, and they're, they're having trouble getting their mind around it, and they say, how is it that you could forgive me for that? The answer isn't, well, I'm just a better person than you thought I was. The answer is, you have no idea what I've been forgiven. And if you did, you would know how easy it is to forgive you for this. The mark of the Christian is not just to be forgiven, but to be forgiving. Reflect on that as his followers this day. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We ask that you would give us the grace and divine enablement to be people who forgive freely and willingly. Keep us from being like that wicked servant who withholds forgiveness, knowing that we ourselves have been forgiven the unforgivable. We thank you for the goodness and grace that you have shown us in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
for the purchasing of our souls, for the redemption of our souls, for the promise of eternal life, and for the forgiveness that we experience from sin. Father, if we have not come to terms with the reality of our own sinfulness, we ask that you would give us the grace to repent now, to recognize that we are in need of being forgiven and that you have made that possible through your son, Jesus. And then, Father, we ask for the grace to do what is hard and difficult in this world, to be forgiving of others, to not withhold that which you so freely gave us. And in so doing, we experience the joy of our salvation and live the gospel before a watching world, a lost and fallen and broken world that needs salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.